The more we learn about the functions of different parts of our brain, the more we understand our minds and psychological events. One of the most salient examples of this is our understanding of flashbacks. It seems beyond cruel that people who have suffered from devastating events go on to have the misfortune to have to relive these experiences. Once we learn more about the different areas of the brain and what their job is, more specifically, how it is keeping us alive, allowing us to learn and memory, we begin to understand that although trauma makes people feel like they are going insane, whatever that means to an individual person, the brain is just trying to keep us safe. This leads to another tenet. If we can unlock some of the mysteries of our brains, we have the potential to help the brain process information and bring it to an adaptive place. Essentially, heal the brain. Welcome back to the show. You are listening to Talking Your Way to Change, the podcast that educates you about optimal mental health and psychotherapy. I am the host, Dr. Banker, and I'm coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank all of you listeners who have been coming on this journey with me. I am now venturing into the second season. This has been a profound learning journey as I learn to navigate the podcasting industry. Although it has been challenging, connecting with other mental health specialists and diving into the psychological research allows me to fill my own cup. If you are enjoying Talking Your Way to Change, thanks for tuning in. Please consider subscribing to the show. Subscribing is one of the ways for me to reach broader audiences. Also, if you think the content is worthwhile, share it with a friend. I am practicing my social media skills, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, let's get into today's episode. Over the next month, I will be publishing episodes on the topic of trauma and the treatment of trauma. I am super excited to air an interview that I will be doing with Rebel Gustafson about EMDR. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. This area of clinical practice, the treatment of trauma, is very dense, and I want to create a foundation of information about what we know from the research as well as clinical experiences. Trauma is a series of mental and physical responses that are set to a circumstance that overwhelm an individual's ability to cope. The event or circumstance can be obvious, such as a highly stressful event, such as war, sexual assault, a natural disaster, or an accident. It could also be something highly distressing to a person because of their unique previous life experiences. Some researchers distinguish between trauma that is life-threatening as big T and other 
non-life-threatening injuries as small t, such as emotional abuse, death of a pet, bullying, or harassment. What we can say with more certainty is that trauma assumes that the person experiencing it did not have the resources to handle the situation at the time it occurred. People have unique capacities to handle stress, referred to as resilience, which impacts their ability to cope with trauma. This helps explain why some people will develop a syndrome such as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and some people may not. Okay, now let's get into the really interesting stuff. What happens in the brain when trauma occurs? Our brains are a survival organ. We are designed like every other creature in the natural world to primarily survive and reproduce. In order to do this, our brains detect danger and our resources are diverted into fight, flight, or freeze. And our resources are suppressed in the most highly evolved parts of our brain, the cerebral cortex. During a traumatic experience, the reptilian brain, our brainstem, takes control, shifting the body into a reactive mode, shutting down all non-essential body and mind processes. The brainstem orchestrates survival mode. During this time, the sympathetic nervous system increases stress hormones and prepares the body to fight, flee, or freeze. The second portion of the brain that comes into play is called the limbic system, and truly our brains are fascinating. Hold on. The limbic system describes a group of brain structures that surround the brainstem. The brain structures that make up the limbic system play a major role in how one experiences certain emotions such as fear and anger, motivations, and memory. It has two related areas that are central to memory storage, hippocampus and amygdala. These two parts are centrally involved in recording, filing, and remembering traumatic events. The amygdala is known to aid in the processing of those highly charged emotional memories that we have, such as terror and horror. Our amygdala is not only highly charged during a traumatic event, it's also highly charged while we're remembering the traumatic event. The hippocampus, on the other hand, gives us the sense of time and space in context to the event, putting our memories in a proper perspective and placing it in our life's timeline. This part of the brain is suppressed during the traumatic event. Its usual assistance in processing and storing the event within the context of time is not available. The suppression of the hippocampus gives the perception that the event is not over such as that the victim has not survived it, is missing. Let's look at the final part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. 
why all of those processes are activated during the trauma, there is a suppression and disconnection between them and the cortex. We know that the left frontal lobe is shut off because there's no blood flow and the right frontal lobe was abandoned. And so the individual is never able to link up that limbic activation with the frontal lobe functioning. That's why it's hard to remember or describe a traumatic experience. This part of the brain that involves reasoning, problem solving, sequencing has been shut off. And in therapy, there are various ways that we are trying to link those systems together. And in the next episode, when I interview the person about EMDR, some of this will make more sense as well. Finally, there are two chemical processes that happen in the brain that I also just want to mention. One is the release of the chemical cortisol. As cortisol is released in the brain, that is part of the hippocampus being suppressed, being blocked. We know that in people who have had extended trauma, their hippocampuses become smaller, damaged. So we know, for example, people who have been in ongoing combat, this can happen. The other chemical reaction that happens in the brain is related to adrenaline. Before I talk about the last chemical hormone that happens in the body, adrenaline, let me just make some distinctions between implicit memory and explicit memory. Implicit memory is when our bodies encode emotion, uh, our perceptions, um, and what we call procedural memory, the memory for action. Um, that would be our memory for how we can always remember how to ride a bike, even if we haven't ridden a bike for years. Explicit memory has more to do with what we actually remember in terms of time and um, where the event was, kind of the facts of the event. Okay, so let's look at adrenaline. Adrenaline increases the encoding of that implicit memory. So it's really encoding strongly the emotion of the event, our fear of the event, um, what we perceived in the event of what was attacking us per se. Um, And that is deeply encoded. Yet the explicit memory, the memory of the facts of the event, such as such as this was the street that I was on when, say, if it was a dog that attacked me, the dog bit me. Um, I remember that I fell to the ground after the dog bit me. I can't really remember, though, how many times the dog bit me or what happened after the dog bit me. You know, did someone come and help me? You know, that explicit memory, which is putting it into context, into time, is suppressed. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I need to alert you that this podcast is not meant to be a substitution for mental health treatment. 
Although we talk about psychotherapy, this is not your psychotherapy. If listeners are interested in pursuing therapy, I would refer you to psychologytoday.com backslash US or your insurance carrier network. Now that we know that during trauma, our brains are readjusting instinctively in ways to alter our memory centers, encoding, storage, and retrieval, are compromised. We can understand how difficult it can be to piece together painful traumatic memories. Our memories of traumatic experiences are often fragmented. They have gaps. At the same time, our memories allow us to maintain information over time. We need to draw on our past experiences in order to use this information in the present and plan for the future. Without our memories, we would not be able to learn. Memories are either implicit or explicit. Explicit memories start around the age of three. Explicit memories are cognitive memories that we remember in our thinking brain. This type of recollection we experience as remembering. Implicit memories rely on brain structures before we were born. They are unconscious and bodily memories. It can be behavioral, emotional, perceptual, somatosensory, and often is felt in the body. A great example is riding a bike. An explicit memory would be a recollection of when you were given your first bike to learn to ride. So how does this all fit together? Well, one, we know trauma impacts our brains in such a way to increase survival, yet impairs our memory. Two, we know we need memories to survive and organize our experiences. Three, memories fall into two categories, implicit, which is fear, heart racing, tension, hearing sounds and smells, and explicit, which are the facts that you do remember, like the people involved or the place it took. Research suggests that both implicit and explicit memories are encoded during trauma, but they're not integrated as they would be hypothetically without that disconnect and suppression of our cerebral cortex. All of this leads to the notion that most if not all trauma-informed therapies essentially understand and appreciate the brain-body connection and need for integration. So how is this information useful? What can I start doing now to heal? One, the more information you have about your condition, the better able you will be to evaluate and choose a treatment modality that is a good fit for you. Two, You are also less likely to judge yourself harshly if you realize that the difficulties you are experiencing are common, understandable, and stem from processes that have likely saved your life. For example, if you feel incapable of managing your fear because now your limbic system has you in hypervigilance, the first step is to be kind to yourself and accept that your brain is just doing its job of remembering and giving you the feedback about the potential for danger, 
which is your brain's way of working from the bottom up. You can say, thank you for alerting me to this danger, but I have evaluated the situation using my cerebral cortex and it's a false alarm. No danger here, right? I'm shifting my thinking from the top down. Three, finally, once we understand how the body and brain work together for our survival, it's easier for us to believe in the possibility of creating an environment in which the mind can heal. Finally, I'll leave you with a personal story. Some years ago, I had a medical procedure in which I was conscious, but it was so painful that it caused me to scream and scream and sob in such a way that I remember a part of myself was just shocked and embarrassed. As soon as the procedure was over, my physician, whom I deeply admired and trusted, put his hand on my shoulder and kept repeating to me, it's over, it's over. I truly believe that small intervention has enabled me at the time and also now to integrate that experience in such a way that when I remember it, I don't really remember the most painful part or the suffering. What I remember is his care and words. I have no idea if he was aware of how our hippocampus or our mind works or that the hippocampus alters our ability to acknowledge that the trauma is over. But I truly believe it was instrumental in my mind and body accepting that it had happened and that it was over. I look forward to continuing our discussion on trauma and upcoming interview about the treatment of EMDR. Until next time, this is Dr. Banker.